They have a mental belief that accepts the facts about God and about Christ, but they are lost spirits, forever lost. Their knowledge is a knowledge that damns them. And James comes in, and he gives this very terse word of warning. Make sure that your faith is more than what the devils have. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and today we're looking at the subject of the faith of devils. We're turning to chapter 2 in the book of James, and we read here that even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God that thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Well, I trust that today that this will shake us up to realize that we need a true, pure, saving faith in the Lord Jesus. Not in the facts, but in the grace of trusting the Lord Jesus as our very own personal Savior. But firstly, we have our Luther lesson for today, and we come to those 95 theses. Kneel to the church door at Wittenberg. Scarcely had they been kneeled to the church door of Wittenberg than the feeble sounds of the hammer were followed throughout all Germany by a mighty blow that reached even the foundations of haughty Rome. Threatening with sudden ruin, the walls, the gates, and the pillars of Catholicism, stunning and terrifying her champions, and at the same time awakening thousands from the sleep of error. These theses spread with the rapidity of lightning. A month had not elapsed before they were at Rome. In a fortnight, says a contemporary historian, they were in every part of Germany, and in four weeks they had traversed nearly the whole of Christendom, as if the very angels had been their messengers, and had placed them before the eyes of all men. No one can believe the noise they made. Somewhat later they were translated into Dutch and Spanish, and a traveller sold them in Jerusalem. Everyone, said Luther, complained of the indulgences, and as all the bishops and doctors had kept silence, and nobody was willing to bell the cat, poor Luther became a famous doctor, because, as they said, there came one at last who ventured to do it. But it did not like his glory, and the tune was nearly too high for my voice. Many of the pilgrims who had thronged to Wittenberg from every quarter for the Feast of All Saints carried back with, instead of indulgences, the famous theses of the Augustinian monk. By this means they contributed to their circulation. Everyone read them, meditated and commentated on them. Men conversed about them in all the convents and in all the universities. The pious monks who had entered the cloisters to save their souls, all the upright and honorable men, were delighted at this simple and striking confession of the truth and heartily desired that Luther would continue the work he had begun. 
At length, one man had found courage to undertake the perilous struggle. This was a reparation accorded to Christendom. The public conscience was satisfied. Piety saw in these theses a blow aimed at every superstition. The new theology healed in it the defeat of the scholastic dogmas. Princes and magistrates considered them as a barrier raised against the invasions of the ecclesiastical power, and the nation rejoiced at seeing so positive a veto opposed by this monk to the cupidity of the Roman chancery. I observe, remarked Erasmus, one of the principal rivals of the reformer, that the greater their evangelical piety and the purer their morals, the less are men opposed to Luther. His life is praised even by those who cannot endure his faith. The world was weary of a doctrine so full of puerile fables and human ordinances, and thirsted for that living, pure and hidden water which springs from the veins of the evangelists and apostles. Luther's genius was fitted to accomplish these things, and his zeal would naturally catch fire at so glorious an enterprise. listening to Let the Bible Speak, and we are turning to our pulpit ministry from the Free Presbyterian Church, James chapter 2, on the faith of devils. May this be a means of checking on your own faith, if you're trusting, relying on the Lord Jesus as your own personal Savior. Tonight our text is James 2.19, and the subject is faith this that is more than the faith of devils. Now, I hope that you remember the five key words of saving faith that we ended with last Sunday evening. F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all I trust Him. Now, this text carries a very stern warning that we are not to be fooled into a false kind of faith. And James uses this, what I would call a startling example of the devils who acknowledge God, they tremble at the person of Christ and his authority over them, but all the while they are doomed to the torments of hell without hope. They have a mental belief 
that accepts the facts about God and about Christ, but they are lost spirits, forever lost. Their knowledge is a knowledge that damns them. And James comes in and he gives this very terse word of warning. Make sure that your faith is more than what the devils have. Now, this is a startling example because demons or devils cannot be saved. The gospel was never designed for fallen angels. The Lord Jesus came into the world to save mankind, to save sinners, men, women, boys, and girls, but there never was a sacrifice to redeem wicked angels or devils. And so, they are lost forever. And all the more startling is this warning, because if they can never be saved, and they have a kind of faith, we need to make sure that we don't settle for that level of faith. And so, James points to this startling illustration, and it is to say that for sinners, saving faith has to be more than the faith of devils. Now, what is James preaching about? If you look at verse 17, you will realize that he's warning against dead faith. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And he is calling the religious or the moralist to awaken to the danger lest they have nothing more of salvation than the very devils who perish. Now, from this text tonight, uh, there are three things I want us to learn. First of all, dead faith cannot be seen. It cannot be faith seen. James says, show me thy faith. Dead faith cannot bring peace because the devils tremble. Living faith or saving faith cannot be hidden because I will show thee my faith by my works. So that's my simple outline. Dead faith cannot be seen. Dead faith cannot bring peace. And living faith cannot be hidden. The first one, then, is verse 18, where you have uh, James pleading with these people to whom he's writing, and he's saying, show me thy faith. Now, some people talk about faith as if it were gravity. You can't see the power of gravity at work. All we know is that the apple falls, and everything left to itself falls. There is some power that draws down to, toward the earth. That's gravity, but it is unseen. Some people think of faith as oxygen in the air. And if you go to the top of Mount Everest, there's no oxygen. If you go up in the clouds in an aircraft at a certain height, there is no oxygen, and it's, it's unnoticeable. You cannot see the difference but there is no oxygen at that level. Now, dead faith cannot be seen 
because it has no works attending. There is no evidence that is visible to the eye. And James is talking about the same thing that John the Baptist preached when he said, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance, fruit that is in accordance with, agreeable to, a spirit of one who has repented. And when a man has been converted to the gospel of Christ and the Holy Spirit has entered into his heart, there will be a new life. There will be works that will demonstrate that he's a new creature. The old nature is no longer in control, and there is a new life within. We can say of that person, as it is said of Noah, that he walked with God, or Enoch walked with God. Now, will every Christian have the same giant faith an heroic demonstration of faith as Enoch and Noah did. No. The Lord Jesus has told us that in the harvest there are some who bring forth thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundred. And so there are going to be shades of difference and degrees of evidence of that new life in the Christian. But as one has said, a true Christian will bring forth new works somewhere, sometime, somehow. I've known of believers who, in their home, have been very timid. They hardly say boo about their newfound faith. For some reason, it's terribly intimidating to tell family that they are now a Christian. And yet, when they are out in the public realm, they have no trouble telling that they are a believer and are walking with God. So it's true. A Christian will bring forth new works somewhere, somehow, sometime. Not every believer is a giant, but each one is signed up for a new life with God. Now, dead faith cannot be seen because it has no saving doctrine. These devils, we are told, if you look there at verse 19, it says, Thou believest that there is one God. So, they had the doctrine of the existence of God. They also believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And if you go with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 33, we will read here about the Lord Jesus in the synagogue, and he meets a man with a devil. And the devil speaks out and says to him in Luke chapter 4, 33, And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil, and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art the Holy One of God. So these devils, these demons, they know of God that he exists. They know that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is sent by God. But even with that, it is not saving doctrine. And so we can see that the knowledge of these devils is staggering. 
They actually knew more about Jesus than the scribes and the Pharisees would acknowledge. Maybe deep down somewhere they recognized that he is someone from God, but they would not confess him as Jesus, the Son of God. These devils did. They recognized him as the Son of God, and they knew also of their own future doom under the power of Christ. They said here, Art thou come to destroy us? They knew, of course, that would one day happen. But all of this knowledge, this faith of devils, was not saving doctrine. They had knowledge, but not salvation. They had thinking processes at work in their heads, but they had nothing in their hearts. Their heads were spinning with divinity, but their spirits were spiraling downward in a lost condition. And so James is warning that we need something more than this head knowledge, this ascent, this historical faith that these uh, demons had. Did you realize that the Lord Jesus referred to Judas as a devil? Now, think of all the knowledge that Judas had. If any man knew the ins and outs and the ups and downs and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, it was Judas having spent three years with him. And yet the Lord said to Judas, Thou art a devil. He did not have saving doctrine, saving faith. And so we say to you tonight, do not trust in this seeming faith of devils. Mr. Spurgeon said on this that a man may say, I have faith. But another question arises, what have you faith in? And the man may say, well, I have faith in what I have left or felt. Then get rid of it, for what you have felt is not an object of faith, nor to be trusted in at all. I have faith, says another, in doctrines which I have been taught. Mr. Spurgeon replied, I am glad you believe them, but remember, doctrines are not the Savior. A creed cannot save. What is the object of faith then? It is the person, the living, divine, appointed person. And who is that person? None other than the Lord Jesus. And so these devils have faith, but it is not saving doctrine, because doctrines alone that do not lead you to personal faith in the living Lord Jesus is dead, dead faith. That's a great warning to all who sit under the privileges of the gospel. Dead faith cannot be seen because it has no gospel in it. There's no good news of new life, new hope, new future. The life of a, of a demon was doomed by the fall. A demon is doomed today and doomed forever. There is no good news for devils. There's no gospel for them. They cannot be saved. The blood of Jesus will never wash away their sins. And all their knowledge and all their privileges and all their confession of believing in will never touch their souls. Indeed, the Bible goes further and says in the book of Jude 1 verse 6 that they are 
foreordained to eternal doom. That's the position of devils. Let me read you that text. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. There's the doom, the darkness, the hopelessness of devils. And so the faith of devils, this knowledge they possess, this acknowledgement of God's existence and of Jesus' power, all of it is dead, is dead. Now, where does that leave you tonight? I trust you know these doctrines. I trust you believe in the existence of God. You believe that Jesus is God's Son. You believe that He has all power and will be the judge on that great day. And maybe even it causes you to tremble when you think about those things. But that level, that degree, that point of faith will not save your soul. You need something more, more than the faith of devils. Dead faith also cannot bring peace. That's another part of our outline tonight. Dead faith cannot bring peace. We're told here that these devils also believe and tremble. That is, they chill or shudder. They literally shudder, and they cow away from the Lord. They dare not challenge Him. They dare not stand up to Him. And so this is the outcome of their historical faith. They know the facts, and it terrorizes them, but it does not lead them to salvation. When we read through the Bible, we find that every encounter of the Lord with demons, it struck absolute terror within them. Now, there is a particular story in Matthew chapter 8 that we want to look at tonight. It is the Lord uh, releasing the legion of devils out of the man who was in the tombs day and night. And he was ferocious, a terrible encounter. We've already talked about the demon that was in the synagogue. What, a, what an arrangement. Someone in the synagogue supposedly worshiping, and yet out of that person speaks a devil, and he's terrorized. Art thou come to destroy us? Now, let's go to Matthew 8, 28, and we'll read here just the situation and see how these demons trembled at the very nearness and encounter with the Lord. Matthew 8, verse 28. When he was come onto the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, now that is the same as Gadara or the Gadarenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And you'll see that these demons terrorized the neighborhood. There were people who would not even dare enter into that area. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? See how they acknowledged the, the Sonship of Christ? Art thou come to torment us before the time? You can see that they, they were quite aware of their future doom. 
quite aware that in the end of earth's history, that every fallen wicked angel, every demon, would be tormented for all eternity. And they say, Lord, art thou come hither to torment us? And we read here in verse 30, And there was a good way off from them, and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out. So they didn't know what the Lord would do in the immediate here. He did, they didn't know what the Lord would do to them. But they certainly knew that they were in big trouble. And they asked this question, If thou cast us out, suffer us, that means allow us, Permit us to go away into the herd of the swine. And he said unto them, Go. That was a command. And they left those that they were tormenting in the graveyard, and they fled into that herd of swine. Now, that story doesn't end very well either, because these swine or pigs that are possessed of devils they immediately flee to the water and drown and becomes a notorious story. And the sad thing is that the whole city is so alarmed by all of this, they said, Jesus, leave. Don't stay in the city. A very sad response to the miracle of the Lord dispossessing these men of these demons. But the account shows us that the devils tremble at the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now, Christ's authority over devils is the result, of course, of his cross work. And it is because that at the cross, the Lord Jesus conquered, spoiling principality and powers, that every demon of hell recognizes Jesus as Lord or Son of God. Now, they don't confess him as Lord, because no man can confess Lord without the Holy Spirit. The devils don't have that kind of faith. All the faith they have is the faith to acknowledge, to agree, to accept the truth. They can't but accept the truth, but they do not have anything that comes close to saving faith. And I hope this evening that this exposure of false faith, this dead faith, that it will cause you to examine your own heart and ask, what kind of faith do I have? I know the Bible to some degree. I've heard the gospel over and over. I do believe in God. I believe in Christianity. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world. I believe that he will be judge on that eternal day. I agree with all of those points, but am I saved? That is a huge question tonight that you must answer in light of this dead faith that brings forth no works that is meet for true repentance and true salvation. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived 
by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music